0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Fill the Teapot, a podcast sharing stories and conversations from inspiring change makers, brand builders, and voices from the Asian American community. I'm your host, Ruchi Avasti, and at each episode, I sit down with a guest I'm inspired by to chat about their relationship with identity and culture, what inspires their work, and everything in between. In today's episode, I'm chatting with one of my favorite humans and incredible friends, Jenny Park. I've known Jenny for almost five years now, and she has long been someone I look up to and am lucky to call a friend. In our conversation, Jenny and I walk through her career path, where she shares some really great advice about developing relationships and finding advocates at work, how to embrace mistakes, and what she's been learning about identity as an Asian American. I so appreciated Jenny getting vulnerable and sharing some honest perspective with us here in today's episode. And I'm so excited for y'all to hear this conversation. So go grab your cup of tea and let's get started. I'm excited because you've always been someone who, like, I really look up to and just get a lot of joy and inspiration from. So I'm I'm excited that our listeners are going to get to do the same thing.
1: I'm excited to be here, and I'm so proud of you for doing this podcast. And the love is is totally mutual. So
0: this is you very are too sweet. Um, well, I'm excited to just dive in. We're going to keep this casual and conversational. Um, and I'm excited to just chat all things your journey, who you are, your identity, and stuff that you're really passionate about. So. We always start with going back a little bit to the beginning and just kind of chatting about identity and culture and the way you grew up and kind of how that influenced uh, the different paths and things that you took along the way. Yeah, I'm happy to. So, I um, also, it's funny because I haven't been on this
1: end of a podcast before. So, like <laughs> you've only little... been on the
0: host side.
1: So now yeah, we're yeah. turning the tables a little bit. It's like nerve wracking. Before I could get away with deflecting and yeah. getting to hear about the other person, now I have to be a little bit more vulnerable. But, um, Yeah. So I am Korean American, I guess second generation. So my mom grew up in Chicago and my dad grew up Mm -hmm. in Korea and we, my family, they raised us in, in Chicago suburbs. And I think if you have been to the Midwest or if you're from familiar with the Midwest, you've heard of Naperville, which is where we grew up. Have
0: you heard of Naperville? I have,
1: I have. Yeah. That's only
0: because I've been in the Midwest for a
1: couple of years. So yeah. I feel like Naperville is a very quintessential American suburb. Like my parents worked super hard to to raise our family in a place like that, right? Like where it was like very good school districts, like very safe and all of that and really great parks. Um so it was like a really great place to grow up in that sense, but it was also a very a very white community. Probably all throughout junior high and high school I had predominantly white friends and I think And I think that was intentional. Like, I think that was intentional for me to want to be with white people and try to cling onto that. And that's seen as like the normal way to live. And it wasn't that I was embarrassed of my upbringing by any means. Like I loved my parents so much. It was just a different part of my life that my friends couldn't relate with. And it was easier for me to assimilate to their life than, than try to like, explain what my culture and yeah. life was like especially when i was like younger too like some of the things that made me feel different it was just hard like i didn't really want to be different like i think everyone has their own journey and how they like embrace or claim totally. their identity yeah. like now being in california and i meet so many asian americans who grew up around other asian americans that there was never any sense of um they all just really claim their identity and they always have yeah for me and I look back and I can see how much I wanted to be not different and I think like even even this one example I think of and I told you this a while ago um I remember there was this guy that I had a crush on and we like both mutually liked each other and we were like all hanging out with friends and he like said to me in like a very joking way like you're so normal Jenny I forget that you're Asian sometimes yeah Yes. And he said that stuff to me like a lot. Like I would be right. facing the and be like, oh my gosh, from behind Jenny, like I totally forget that you're Asian, you look white. And I remember those things like so vividly because when I was like 14, 15, 16, though, those were like the best compliments I wanted to hear. Right. It was like affirmation that like, I am doing a good job. I am normal. Like I am like them um, more than anything. And I think that's like really sad now when I right. hear that, right? Yeah. of and now i have the language can understand of like this proximity to whiteness and this this identity that i was so clinging on and now it took me much longer for me to really embrace and claim just like my identity as being a korean american in that mm-hmm. way but um i think growing up it was yeah it was a battle and i it was for sure a battle
0: but at the same time we didn't know any better you know and like that was a part of that journey and it's not unique to us like i feel like so many people experience that same fight where it's like, yeah. you just want to fit in and you don't want to be different. Um, but I think, you know, at least for me, I think coming back to like my identity and like learning about it at this stage in life has like made me so much more proud of it. And so, I mean, again, it's like, in some ways, maybe if we had both grown up around people who were from our culture and our communities, like you would have started that journey so much sooner, but it's like now it's kind of like you're making up for lost time. Right. Where it's like the kind of that guilt where you're like, oh, I gotta like catch up and do all these things I should have been doing and thinking about. Um, it's just, it's weird. It's so weird to think about. And I, I feel like it's like a double edged sword too. Like, I think
1: that was also very much like why Asians, in, in some way, that was their journey in America was like, put your head down, assimilate as, as much as possible, do not yeah. make any waves, blend in, just collect the paycheck, protect your family, yeah. take care of your family. And, I think there's some of that in like survival, like instinct of like Maslow's hierarchy at at the base level just survive. And then now much later, it's that exact, I think, benevolence or just Mm -hmm. like acceptance of the status quo that I think we no longer want to be this person that turns away when we see discrimination and um, on multiple levels. Right. And that at the most extreme of other people of color at the sake of protecting ourselves because, uh, we also face that. And we also have this, like, I don't know, proximity to whiteness that we're still clinging on to, 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 um, yeah, protect ourselves. And I think there's a little bit that we have to, to sacrifice and be at stake to change, to change it up. And so, yeah. So then, um, so in, I went to, went to University of Illinois and that's actually where my mom went to school. And so it felt like a really Sweet. special thing to get to go where my mom went. Um, and it's funny because I feel like it was a pendulum swing where I think in high school it was it was only in white circles and I really rejected being part of Asian communities. Mm. And then in college, I went to, to this very Asian church, which was I think the crux of my college experience. So then I was just like surrounded and like a lot of Asian Americans and that was really nice to get to experience that in such formative years but I studied advertising um, while I was in college and I didn't even know advertising was a major like I didn't know anyone in my family growing up who studied advertising or who worked in the advertising industry but my freshman year there was a girl named Hannah on my floor who we became very friends very quickly and she was headed off to this AAS Club like American Advertising Federation Club, and she right. asked if I wanted to come with her, and I was like, Yeah, totally, I'll go. And I immediately fell in love like this mix of creativity and storytelling, um, and very people centric, like craft that people were learning. Yeah, and it was also tied to culture, right? Like, how do you build brands and how do you build connections between brands and people? And I just fell in love, and so I kind of just threw myself into advertising. So a lot throughout college, I was. In advertising clubs and internships and um, lots of different things. And my friends joke that I was like such a yes woman in college and like signing myself for every single club and activity I could. Mm. A lot of it, I think, because I felt like I was making up for lost time. Like I didn't have connections or friends to get me indoors um, or even like to even ask questions of what their experience was like. So it was really just like putting myself in every situation as possible. And then um, my senior year, I applied for this thing that's sponsored by um, different like multicultural advertising networks, and it was called MPMS Multi- mm-hmm. Most Promising Multicultural Student of the Year or something like that. It was like this like conference award that you get selected to go to, and you get you do, do this like three day experience in New York where all like top agencies and companies do basically like this very intense interview session because a lot of people leave from this conference with a full-time job before they leave their college year, which is very rare in advertising. Like I feel like a lot of people who studied advertising either graduated and then went to an internship or they were still like looking for jobs because the ad industry doesn't reserve slot, slots right away. So it's a really great networking experience. And so it was like hosted mm-hmm. by Ogilvy and Google and like oh, Widen, wow. like all these top places. So you get to network and get to meet with their, um, like in, like review their um, talent board. You get to uh, do like tours of their offices. And it was such a cool experience. And General Mills actually was a sponsor there, but it was super lucky. And I met a woman named Erica Jensen there who ended up hiring me. And I, I thought General Mills was so cool because they housed multiple brands that I just grew up loving since I was a like kid. Iconic you know, brands iconic brands, Yo Play, Cheerios, Nature Valley, all these things. And just fell in love. So I interviewed and there's usually one spot that General Mills gets from MPMS. And I got s- super lucky and I got the spot. And so then I moved to Minneapolis right after I graduated. And so I worked there for about four years. And I moved to Minneapolis was the first of like my friends and family to move out of state. And it was such a a culture shock. Like I have so much empathy for first year working Jenny, because let alone understand how to navigate corporate life, but also Mm -hmm. navigating corporate life as a person of color. Um, even just things like, how do you make small talk with people who are more senior than you? And I dreaded being in an elevator with anyone more senior because I just like, did not know how to make small talk with someone. I, um, could not relate with people's weekend stories like their family crock pot recipes like my parents did not use a crock pot they did not have a lake house like all these things Um, even like how do you run a meeting and how do you interrupt to ask questions so that you can insert yourself and learn like that was so out of my comfort zone and I think and I think it was just like how do you yeah become a professional but also like how do you assimilate a little bit but yeah so when I joined General Mills it was 2014 On my second day, the company announced the layoffs they were going to have, and I was terrified. Like I moved from Illinois to Minnesota, where I didn't know anyone for this job, um, to work on Totino's, which was like the super fun, innovative, cultural brand. And because of the layoffs that were happening and some of the shifts, they actually called me and said, hey, we're going to move you to this pricing role where you are going to lead coupon strategy and pricing models. And I didn't have any like business background, didn't even know how to use Excel, but it was this role that was um so out of my element, right like it wasn't about storytelling and building a brand. it was around like business strategy and so mm-hmm. looking back, it was such a good first year of just understanding business acumen and business foundations um, but it was it was just so tough from a skill from a skill set yeah. perspective so I did that for a year, was doing pricing strategy i think for a lot of the frozen brands green giant which is no longer part of general Mills anymore totinos and then moved over to also yogurt and cereal brands um so it was, it was a good mix of like different industries and erica jensen who had hired me continued to be my manager at the time and we had lots of career conversations about what i was passionate about where i could see myself and she knew that social media was something i was very interested in and getting closer to brand building And so then a spot came up on Cheerios, which was um, actually, you know, what's funny is so that year we were still doing MPMS. So we were now, I was on the recruiting side of how do we pick one person with an MPMS to become um, a full-time hire. So Eric and I went to New York and we went to interview and interview and and recruit someone. So we were in New York and we were talking about this and she goes, Cheerios or Nature Valley, which one do you want? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, both of them have a role open. Which one do you want? Oh, and I was so shocked, and I was like, I think Cheerios because it feels much more in line with, um, like my my interests and my. And it's such a flagship, I- iconic brand. Like yeah. I'd love to. And she goes, Okay, let's talk about it when we get back to the office. And she advocated for me to join the Cheerios brand, which was a big deal at the time because Cheerios was the flagship brand. So I was there for probably about the majority of my time there i started doing social then continued just to expand i think both my desk and my passion so i started with social then expanded to pr and experiential and then went on to lead all of our paid media and partnerships at the time Um, and we were doing some cool stuff the last year i left we just did this huge partnership with ellen on how do we spread kindness we were just doing a lot of investing and understand all, this was now probably in 2016, mm-hmm. where the political climate, again, it was a very divided time in the country. And Cheerios was very much a brand for families and about love and kindness. So how do we play this role in sparking positivity and kindness in a time of such division in the world? Right. Um, and so we did a lot of research of understanding families and children. And there was a lot of things about like bullying and acceptance and love. And so we created this like modern day school of rock series that would serve as a tool for parents who want to talk to their kids about um, a lot of different differences and like, how do we unify people and how do we remind people to have like kindness and all these things. And so um, those were probably two such fun projects that I worked on. And around that time, I started getting really interested in thinking like, you know, like I spent four years at general mills really in the CPG um, space and tech was, was just booming and it, and it wasn't going away. I knew. Yeah. So I was like, I'd love to work on a tech brand and also a brand that's very mission oriented. Cause I think that's where I got a lot of energy from Cheerios. And so then I moved over to LinkedIn. And so, which is where I am now and crazy living in California.
0: I remember when I had met you in 2016, um, Nneka was like, you should meet my friend, Jenny. She's like doing a bunch of cool stuff. Um, she knew that I did like food styling and creative stuff. Um, I remember when we met, I, was like, Oh my gosh, Jenny is so cool. How does she do this? Like incredibly cool, like job here at the company. Like she's working on the biggest, best brand. Like she's putting out this amazing, creative work. And I remember thinking like, how did Jenny like get to this role? And I love that. What you said was like, a lot of it was this like advocacy That you had for you from like your manager. Um, And I think what a lot of people, especially these days, is we see people that we really look up to doing really cool things and we don't really know how they got there. Like we would love to do something similar, but we don't really know like what were the steps that they did to get there? I guess for you, like, what was, like, how did you kind of learn to foster those relationships that, like, did end up advocating for you? And how did you, I guess, learn to kind of build your own confidence in that and, like, Mm. learn how to do it authentically? That's such a good question.
1: Um, One, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I... I definitely struggled with that. Well, okay. One, I want to acknowledge when I met you too. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that on pause. But secondly, in terms of, I think confidence and, and mentorship and relationship, I think it also probably depends on what stage you are in your career. When I first started out in my career, it was a lot about, I think, curiosity. And I think having that humility yeah. to ask all the questions. And so I, asked a ton of questions. Like I was very observant of the people who in the room or in meetings in terms of what I found to be really impressive or respectable about them, um, was constantly trying to be in rooms where they were in so I could learn and just see how they navigated. And then with people that I respected, I asked them, like, I think I was very open to asking to get coffee and just ask them a bazillion questions of how they got there, what they were doing, projects that are working on. and, and just being super grateful. I think most people really want to help other people, but they don't really know sometimes exactly how, how they can help. So the more that you can ask questions and be super specific about what you're looking for and showing that gratitude for their time. I think now where I am in my career, it's really about building trust and connection building and, and that friendship totally. The other thing that I think is like, is like continuing to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel like what prepared me for Mills a little bit was the fact that in college I joined so many clubs and it wasn't like the hard skills that I really learned. It was this like the fact that I had so many proof points that I could point to of I put myself in these situations that I was so uncomfortable with and while it sucked and while it was so hard, I got through it and yeah. eventually i got comfortable and i think i use it as assurance of while i'm in these situations whether it's doing an intro with someone much more senior than me leading a meeting that i never had before reminding myself that i i also put myself in situations i didn't know and i got through it so the more i can put myself in these situations the more comfortable it will feel yeah. over time and so probably like i'll use erica again as an example my first like maybe five times i met with her it was probably awkward. Like I probably didn't know how to navigate the conversation. I didn't know how honest I could be because it was a mix of how do I show up as impressive and making sure she felt like she recruited someone well. And also a mix of how do I make sure I'm asking the questions that will actually help me grow and become better in my career.
0: And I think it's like in the context of putting yourself in situations or conversations that Really stretch you a little bit because if you're always sitting in that zone where you are comfortable, you become kind of complacent. I don't know if that's quite the word I'm looking for, but it's like in some way you get so used to being comfortable and then doing new things and learning becomes so much harder. And I think the same can be true of making mistakes. I think, especially in corporate, like you said. We always want to be seen as the impressive right hire and prove ourselves a little bit. And I know what's been helpful for me is having managers who have given me kind of the freedom to mess up a little bit and make mistakes because that's when I've learned and grown the most. And obviously it's not some like life altering or jarring mistake, but just enough room to like stretch myself a little bit. Um, I'm curious though, because Cheerios, huge brand, lots of eyes on you and the work you're doing. Did you ever feel that pressure? 1,000%. 1,000%. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but so my f-
1: my first year, number one, everyone on the Cheerios team, everyone on that team was a top performer. Like right? they were Harvard Business School graduates, Wharton, school, Wharton graduates. And here I am with a, um, not a master's degree, just like a bachelor's from the University of Illinois in advertising. Like I just learned Excel probably six months previous and now I'm on this team. <laughs> And there were definitely eyes on me because also Erica went to bat because I didn't have social experience. I didn't have um, like traditional social experience at the time when I joined and I just spent one year on pricing. And I think I was very adamant with her about, I don't want to pigeon myself into this path of where pricing could lead me into a lot more analytical career path. But I know that brand building is something where I see myself in um see myself in so I did have like side projects and things that I could point to that I think gave her confidence to pitch for me but I think I had to prove it to the rest of the org and then oh my gosh Soruchi the first month I was this is literally the biggest mistake ever. The first month I was in and I was leading social and it was going really well and I think I was feeling pretty confident to start leaning into taking risks and um i think it was like march it was springtime because we were getting ready to do this huge save the bees campaign and then prince the artist who is from minneapolis passed away and i saw that a lot of people who were minneapolis brands were posting and just honoring prince's life and legacy and death and i think i posted something like rest in peace in, in cheerios font literally within seconds I was crucified. Like oh, no. everyone on Twitter was saying like, who the hell is the social person on this brand that thought this was a good idea? I have like literally the most anxiety I've ever had in my life. Like here I am already like people looking like, who is this like girl with this, like no social experience coming to lead social, this top brand and then made this like such big mistake. And so I think coming out of that too, I just felt a ton of pressure to to prove and really rectify from that mistake, yeah. and, and fortunately, years later, it became such like a thing we could laugh about, but probably for the first like six months, yeah. I was very anxious.
0: I think what I love, especially about the way you tell the story now, obviously it's been years um, that you can kind of like look back. Cause I, obviously I'm trying to imagine like being in your shoes and like doing something that is so like visible to so many people. I think Being so upfront with your mistakes, you know, like having gone through interviews where people are like, tell me about a mistake you made, right? It's more about how you fix the mistake and how you move forward from the mistake. Have you like, have you ever like, I don't know, if someone ever asked you like, tell me about your mistake, like because it sounds like you're super upfront about it now, where you're like, Yeah, I, you know, I made this mistake, but it's like, how do you move forward from that? Like how do like how do people react to that now, especially if you're a job like in marketing where you're like, Yeah, I kind of messed up one time, but Here's how I handled it. That's totally, I totally use
1: that. I think in my interview to LinkedIn probably as my mistake. Oh my gosh, I think, really? <laughs> I think I am upset about it. Yeah. I think in terms of like the, how I made up for it was one, like I, I did own it. Like I yeah. went directly to the director and, and I was very upfront about like, Hey, this is the mistake I made. This was the intention that I had. Here's my recommendation for what I think we need to do to get in front of it. And I just want you to know, like this mistake is never going to happen again. And I think I got the advice from a mentor of being cautious, right? Like I think especially as women and I think as as like Asian women, like we can be so apologetic. And I don't say that meaning right. like don't make it a big deal because it was a big deal, right? And you need to own your mistakes. But it was this like balance of I'm going to apologize for it, but I also need to give you confidence that it's never going to happen again. And yeah. and And that was it. And I think part of that like gave them confidence too that, it won't happen again and that I can move forward from it. And I have the fortitude to do that. Some of it, it it is comes in messaging. This is such a, sorry, this is such a tangent, not related. But when I look back at Mills, I think I am so grateful for the different like mentors I had Mm -hmm. because there were so many people that I just really respected. And I think so much about work is an emotional thing and how you handle that. And I remember there was even a phase where my manager consistently showed up late. And so I would sit there for 20 minutes until she came. And then when we were in the room, she was distracted. She would be checking her email. Someone else would come in. And it made me feel like the work I'm doing is not important. Mm -hmm. And so she must not want to talk about it. That was like my takeaway. And I remember I went to like one of my mentors. I was like, hey, can you go on a walk? And I was like, this is how I'm feeling. What do you think I should do? Like, do you think I should tell her? She gave me such good advice because she one validated what I was hearing. But she said, here's what I think you should do. I think, I don't think you should ask that. But I think what you should tell her is, Hey, I notice there's a pattern that like this time doesn't seem to be working. Like, is there a better time that could work for you? Like, do you think we should move our statuses in the morning or in the afternoon? And secondly, it seems like we're not able to get through some of the things like, are the things that I'm working on a priority for you? Are they not a priority? And if they're not like, are there other things that I should be working on to make sure that this time is valuable for us? And she reframed it so well in such a way of like, how do we make this a productive conversation? One, how do we assume positive intent in the other person? And how do we move forward in making sure that what I want and what she ultimately wants is valuable time together? So how do we move that? And I think that is such a reframing that I, and a skill that I continue to try to like hone and work through into other conversations. is like, have the space to have your, your emotional first reaction and assumption and then now how do you like face what you have and so I-, I think I thought of that related because it's not a mistake but I think it's something about like a misunderstanding mm-hmm. and how do you how
0: do you move forward from that right and I love I love that phrase that you just said where it's like assume positive intent obviously I know it's situational right where it's like sometimes people do not mean a positive intent but for totally. the most part I would say generally people mean the best and they mean well and so much of our culture today is so reactionary where we don't take that pause, right? That you just said where it's like, you got to take the pause before you react and assume that someone meant to hurt you or say something bad. Like oftentimes that's just not the case. Um, And I think that's such a good reminder, like such a great reminder. I love that. Okay. Leaving Mills, we're going along the way. You moved to California. You're at LinkedIn now was it scary to say here's somewhere i have you know been for a couple years have like really enjoyed like the work and the brand that i'm working on and then to just go and switch lanes completely because i feel like for a lot of people once you find that comfort zone it's really scary to like just jump ship and go somewhere else totally it it
1: was scary and i think so it was the winter that i started applying to jobs and and I was at such a good point, right? In my career too. And and I had developed such solid relationships and let alone in Minneapolis at that point, like Eugene and I had such a solid community. Like the people who felt like yeah, family,
0: yeah.
1: church that was like a, a big part of our life that we were really thinking about settling down and buying a home in Minneapolis. So this was definitely not part of the plan. And even when I left too, um, I questioned it because I think I had such strong relationships with people and I didn't want to lose that. Right. Like I spent four years building this credibility with people and building trust with people. And I was also just as invested in in other people too. So it, it was hard. Um, and I think that was for me personally, a really great place to like a really great point for me to look for a new job because I think, because i wasn't like running away for something and i was really running towards something better mm. it helped me just evaluate and be honest in in the interview and negotiation process to make sure that i was getting something that was worthwhile for me to leave right like i was yeah. so grateful that linkedin also took a chance on me that i was not someone that had tech experience so i think i'm so grateful that they took a chance on me but also like I felt confident in terms of what they were offering and what not to make sure that this would be worthwhile in my career. And so it was, um, I think I applied maybe December 22nd. I got my first interview December 26th. I think I flew in in January. And then I think I got my offer on like February 2nd or something. It was like so quick. Um, And so the role that I applied for and I was interviewing for was for a program manager that was reporting into the chief of staff um, of the CMO. And so at the time, so this was almost three years ago now, the marketing and communications team, which is called MNC within LinkedIn was growing so fast. Um, And I thought this is going to be such a good experience for me to get a lay of the land of all the different aspects within marketing and the tech org. Like I won't be siloed into one org i will have a good purview into every way the marketing comes role works and so my one like caveat was i wasn't sure if eugene could get a job if we moved to bay area so we had to make sure that this was going to be something that felt like steady enough for our family to go while taking this risk right like i want to be thoughtful about the both of yeah. us because he was so supportive and he was like go i think this is going to be so great for your career and then secondly um We weren't we just made some commitments with like our friends and church that we weren't ready to leave for two months. And so that was kind of like the one thing was like, hey, I don't think we're ready to move for for two months. And so they were so generous and they're like, that makes total sense. We want to honor that. Would you feel comfortable if you flew back and forth every other week? Like we'll fly you out every other week and you can meet the Chicago office, the New York office, the San Francisco office, the Sunnyville office, and then you can spend every other week in Minneapolis. That's incredible. So it was amazing. So every other week I got to go fly back and forth like meet all these different offices, get a sense of all these people while still getting to kind of close out our chapter in Minneapolis. Um, okay. So anyway, so then we mo- we went to LinkedIn. Um, we we moved there and I had this role and it was such a whirlwind I got to meet so many people. Um, I think pretty quickly I knew that this was such a great experience, but Strictly operational and strictly chief of staff was not a role I think mm-hmm. I wanted to do full time. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And then there were so many great things I really enjoyed about it. but I think similar to when I started pricing, I think I was very mindful about what skills I'm learning, what experiences I'm gaining to make sure that I'm setting myself up for the next thing I do want to pursue. And so I let my manager know at the time like, hey, like I'm learning so much, I'm enjoying it. I think I'm still passionate about like go to market, and brand building. I'd love to make sure like this is something like a skill I'm still continuing to develop. And so, man, when I think about like my LinkedIn career too, like I feel like it's, I've been so fortunate because, um, so I let, I let my manager know that. And at the time, like LinkedIn's brand team was just building up and there was, just at a point when they were investing in their brand and doing it's like literally the opposite of General Mills, right? I feel like General Mills was built on brands and you don't have to right. There's prove so the much
0: recognition, like so much recognition there.
1: Exactly. Brand is the hub of the wheel within Mills. And at LinkedIn, it was something very new, like very exciting. And I think everyone could see the value of it, but it was a new muscle and a new team that they had to build up. And so Anne said, like, hey, there's a new team that's building up and building the brand. And it seems like it's an MNC wide project. Would you like to spend 50% of your time working on this? And I said, absolutely. And so I spent 50, 50 of my time doing um, operations within the brand org, reporting into my old manager, and then delving into this brand world within tech, which was really about, we have this new brand identity that we um, no is so true to be LinkedIn. How do we roll this out into our entire company when we don't have that? And we're a very decentralized org. So I spent about four months doing that. And then the VP, um, approached me and said like, Hey, we just got headcount for our team. Like we've really enjoyed working with you. Would you be interested at all in joining this team full time? And, um, I was really conflicted because I had only been, you know, at LinkedIn for maybe seven months at the time. And I felt really loyal to my previous manager for taking a chance on me, investing in me in all these ways. And I knew like, right, like there's a certain amount of time that you want to stay within a role. Eugene and I made so many to-do lists, lists, people recommended like lots of different people to me to reach out to. And I ultimately decided like, I'm going to stay within my current role. I went to go tell the hiring manager that. And she was like, listen like i'm going on my honeymoon i'm not going to make a decision for two weeks just think about it talk to all these people and then um the p um who is now our cmo actually um called me and said like jenny like i just want you to know like i really think this is a good fit for you and i don't think the team is going to be hiring again for a year like i would really consider you taking this opportunity so then I changed my mind and I, I went into this, this role and I've been on this team for the last two years. And I'm I'm so thankful for, for both like the CMO, the VP and the director, just for believing in me and giving me these opportunities. And even in the last two years of being on the team, every six months, my job has changed, which has been so wild, right? Like our brand is still in such a growing phase and investing phase. And so we've had these weird transitions of 50, 50 again, like when yeah. COVID started my world, then shifted back to doing something very different. And then right now it's shifted something different as we're really looking towards 2020. And so I feel so grateful with how everything turned out. And also seems like exactly what I was looking for and getting these variety of experiences and skill mm-hmm. sets, and making sure that I'm continuing to develop right and advance my, my career in that way.
0: I feel like it would be wrong to say that we are where we are in life purely from our own actions. And I mean that in like so much of who we are, not just in our roles or career paths, but who we are in life is a culmination of the people around us and the people who have invested in us. And I love that you continue to give credit to the people who have advocated for you and invested in you and continued to lift you up and point you in the direction of different opportunities like i think it's just so important to you know continue calling that out for whoever might be in our life
1: totally i i do think so at least that's been my my experience in building those relationships i think because part of why i love work is the people that i work with yeah and i trust their opinion so much yeah um and so yeah but and I do think that we don't get to places on our own and so I I think for me like finding people that I can trust and I respect and um I think that's also what motivates me too is when I know that there are people who are just as invested in me right um to do well
0: You know, one of the conversations that we've had is that we've continued to see other communities do a really good job of advocating for each other and bringing up people who are and who might be earlier in their career. And, you know, speaking to my own personal experience and conversations that I've had within the Asian American community is that we can still do a better job of that. You know, I think we're all trying so hard to set ourselves up for success. Like so many of our parents taught us to do, right? Like that, you know, they worked so hard so that we could set ourselves up for even more success and more opportunities than they had. Um, But I think what we need to be or continue to be cognizant of is like, how do we continue to pay it forward? A little bit. And I'm curious for you, since you have done such a good job of building relationships and fostering advocates along your career is how you've thought about that advocacy for people who are coming up behind you and who are earlier in their careers.
1: Totally. It's funny. I remember when I read Michelle Obama's becoming book, there was a line that really stuck with me. And it was when she was first dating Barack and, you know, like up to that point, her whole journey is about how she grew up in the South side of Chicago. And she's just like accelerating herself into this, like new successful, um, circle and what, and that was like her world. And what she found different about Barack was that Barack was not only interested in how does he catapult, catapult himself in success, but how does he take a whole community that up with them? And I remember being like, Oh my God, that's so interesting because I think I do resonate more with the first one of how do I get myself to grow and to be, and to continue to, um, not like I don't know, like yeah, continue to put myself in in better situations and whatnot. And I know that's something that like right, our parents had raised us to yeah. do is to create a life that that's better for us. So I, I do recognize that that's something a uh, more of a challenge. I've been really inspired by um, this past year. There's a woman named Judy who's head of like something with marketing within Pinterest and different like agency MOS. They've been trying to create more communities together, yeah. and I think that's really really cool. Yeah. And I think that takes intentional effort. I don't think I'm great at it. I think it's something I would like to be and I want, I try to be intentional about of like, if there are people who um, have questions, like I'm very honest about like my experience and what I think, like um, what has helped me. But yeah, I always think that people can be, we can be better. Yeah. I it's, also it's feel like I'm not like that senior in my career where I can be like offering my advice to everybody. So I'm also like conscious of that. Like I only have so much experience that I can share. I'm not like that much more senior than
0: folks to give advice, but yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. I mean, it's totally a learned skill. Like one, we first have to learn how to advocate for ourselves and it's like, that takes time and that takes like skill to be comfortable doing. And then it's about how do we learn? Because again, learn skill, how do we learn to bring everyone else with us? It is, it's, one of those things that I'm like, okay, I, when I first started thinking about it, I was like, this should be easier than I think it is. And it, I don't, I think just like you write where it's like, I don't know that I'm good enough at it yet, but I think it'll come with time. Totally.
1: Totally. This is, um, kind of a tangent, but when you were talking about when we first met, I think this also speaks to at least my personal identity and insecurity at the time, as well as I think other. Maybe other Asian Americans or people more junior in the career, but not when Neca introduced us because I don't remember exact moment. But when I met you with Bethany at a photo shoot, yeah. and um, and you had all this experience, right? In in styling and photo styling, especially, so was so grateful that you were there but I don't remember being that warm to you or like fun. Like I think I should have been right. Like as, as a person who's a predominantly the only Asian person to see another Asian person to like find that kinship and be excited. But instead of feeling that like kinship and like warmness, I think I felt guarded. And I also felt very apologetic Mm -hmm. about taking up too much space of like, yeah, this like, worrisome about taking up too much space as an American person, right? Like how do I fit into a white world versus I don't want to burden them and making them feel like they have to also understand me in those ways. And so I think with us two being together, I think I felt like not like there isn't enough room for both of us from like a success standpoint, but I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't want to make the other people feel weird or uncomfortable. And I think what I was so inspired by you by was how much you claimed, I think your identity as being like an Asian American, right? Like you were so vocal and intentional and you continue to be like with this podcast, as well as like reading predominantly books written, written by like Asian American authors. And like, like what is authentic chai and what is not like that garbage at Starbucks, right? Like all these things. And I was so inspired by that because I think at the time, like I, right, we talk about clinging to proximity to whiteness. Yeah. Like I was such in that mindset. And it took me years over time to to really feel bold and not, um, I don't know, also intentional about that as well in my journey. Yeah.
0: It's so funny that you say that. I have a couple things with that where it's like, <laughs> okay, one, funny. I love, I just love that vulnerability, queen of vulnerability, where it's like, you're like, okay, don't know if I'm going to be super warm here yet. But I've definitely felt that where I think it's like, as I was, before I went kind of on this like realization of like, there is room for everybody. I definitely This is going to be me being vulnerable where I was like, there's another Indian girl here. Nope, not okay. Like I am not going to be her friend. Like there's only room for one of us. And looking back, I'm like, what were you doing? Like that should have been like your point to like go and be like, hey, I am here for you. We can support each other. Like we, like we can do it rather than like putting up this fence, but it takes so long to realize that. It and do you think time. that's
1: unique to being an Asian American or do you think that's true of all I like people Oh,
0: I don't know. I would be curious to like actually have that conversation with someone else. Um, because I know at least for me, like that used to be a thing where I was like, nope, I, for so long, I was so used to being the only like mm. Asian person. And so then when other Asian people like would come into whatever sphere I was in, like, I would be like, nope, we got to put the walls up. And I was like, that was so wrong of you at the time to like do that. Obviously I totally get it, it comes with time and it's a part of that journey and understanding that there is room for all of us. But looking back, you're like, man, you, that should have been your chance. Like reach a handout and be like, Hey, I got you. But again, comes with time. Um, I also think it's really funny, and I know I've told you this before, where you're like, oh, you did all this stuff and you were so proud and like doing all this work. I was like, I definitely was like struggling with identity. (laughs) Um, And I feel like me grasping at every like, quote unquote, Asian thing that I could was me just like searching for a lifeboat of like, okay, Mm. there is something or someone or like some piece of work, anything that I can like grasp onto that will make me feel seen. And like, that was just me like reaching and like shooting in the dark for like anything. Um, and it's so funny, because like, I've had other friends be like, Oh my gosh, yeah, you've always known. I'm like, I am definitely not. Like, I think you were one of like the first friends that I had made in Minneapolis that like I had actually had conversations with about Asian identity. And like, I owe so much of that to you because you were willing to like get vulnerable and like share those journeys and part of your identity, um especially when we got to, I was living in Sacramento when you took the job at LinkedIn. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> hey. um, and so many of those conversations that we had while we were out there in California together were so formative for me. Cause I think that's when I really first started going on this, like, Hey, there is room for all of us all of our stories matter. We share a lot of similarities. We also have differences and all of them are equally important because I definitely was not there before that time. So.
1: Thanks girl. Back at you.
0: All that great stuff. Um, Well, I know we've been chatting for a while. Before we wrap up though, I'm curious because something I really loved talking to you about is kind of, you know, you've gone in this amazing path, learned so much along the way. How has all of that kind of culminated in, this year for you, especially as a lot of us are doing so much self-reflection, and y'all just moved, and so much is going on um, in the world. I'm curious, like, how are you handling it? How are like, how have you grown in this year, and what have you kind of taken away from all of this? Oh, <laughs> heavy, that's heavy question. A good question.
1: <laughs> There's a lot for sure I've learned, and and I'll answer that in a few ways. So I think. Yeah. One, I think, especially around the summer when it was at like the peak of so much, it was like a pandemic on both ends. Like there was a racial oh. pandemic and there was a, like a health pandemic and, um, and an economic pandemic, like crisis, just like it a was lot of everything. And it made me really self-reflective, I think, in terms of from an, like a, like, a cultural perspective of really wrestling with my identity as an Asian American and where we fit within the fabric of America. And I think that was the first time I started really learning Asian American history on my own. Like, I just started reading about, like, like, where does the phrase, like, model minority come from? Right. And
0: where I had does, never like, heard is- that term before this year. You had it? I had not. And I- I, when I first, I think you were one of the first people that posted something in my feed, at least about it. And I was like, what does this mean? And then that's where I was like, oh crap, I got a lot to learn.
1: It's funny, I'd always heard of it before, but it was always framed in compliments, right? Like, and I think that's the disguise of it, right? And it was, it became such a year for me, for me to acknowledge beliefs that I just had in my head growing up and I never questioned before. Like even this phrase of white proximity, I never like used regularly in my vocabulary. Like it was such a reflection of me feeling like, okay, there's so much in my identity that I need to learn and becoming like an ally, an anti-racist. But at the same time, there was still this like struggle, like discrimination that I felt as an Asian American that I didn't yeah. know how to reconcile and I didn't know what were spaces that were appropriate for me to talk about because it wasn't at the magnitude as it was with other people groups, right? Like There was definitely a lot of discrimination against Asians with COVID happening, right. um, but it didn't feel at the same scale. And it certainly wasn't the same scale or years of systemic racism as it was for other groups that it ever felt appropriate to talk. So I think I was trying to reconcile that. So there was that on one end. On the other end, it was like, right, I got to acknowledge like the privilege that we are in and having these stable jobs, that we were not affected by COVID in that way. Like we didn't lose our jobs, we didn't lose our yeah. income. And so then feeling this weird like guilt and also like this new sense of um what do i believe in terms of thinking about community and society versus just my own like personal gain i think there was this crisis and like wrestling there and then from a faith perspective i think there was a lot there right like i always predominantly grew up like very strong in my beliefs as a christian and i struggled as i saw like this conversation about black lives matter and police brutality and i struggled i think at least on social media right because there's so much of the conversation was with seeing these like christians that i really admired and loved and i knew them to be good people to be so silent in this matter and it made me really struggle with church and faith and as as um like believers like we do really believe that like we like love everyone and that we all are all made equal and that there is this like God who loves everyone wants to save everyone but that became such not important it felt like this year like it felt like it came more about like political beliefs and I think I was like struggling with what I believed and disappointed in some things when I felt like there was absence in that and me questioning that and yeah so, so it was some things but yeah.
0: One, I wanna say first, thank you for your vulnerability. Um, I think a lot of that is, a lot of what you just said can be so hard for some people to admit. Like I know, um, and you kind of split it into like three parts, right? Where it's like, so much of this conversation, I think at least within our Asian American community, specific to race, like I've honestly been scared to like, talk about it on the podcast. Like I'm so grateful to have really safe circles, like in my life to have these conversations and learn and grow. But I think when you start putting that conversation out there, especially in the realm of social media, you're like, Oh my God, what if I get it wrong? What if like, I say something that's not right. And it's like, it's, it's so, it requires such a level of vulnerability to like, be able to voice, like, here's what I'm learning. I know I'm not going to get everything right, but I'm, I'm trying and I'm, the intent your, the intent and the growth is there. And I think that that is so impressive to me. And I think you were one of the first people, I think earlier in the summer, again, that I followed that had done just such a good job of kind of voicing where you were at and like being vulnerable and sharing that. Um, and I know we've talked a little bit about like performative allyship and it's like, that doesn't really do anything. But what I loved was that I saw you like taking action and I saw you like learning and like being super active and like growing in that. And like, that was a good push for me because I'm like, okay, Jenny is someone I look up to and she's really trying and she's doing such a good job of this. It kind of also gave me the space for that too. Um, So, one, thank you for that. I think the other thing that I think is really interesting, because we've had conversations about faith before too, right? I remember so many of these conversations when we were in California. And what I loved specifically about those conversations is that um, I'm Hindu, you're Christian, but so many of the conversations that we had were so. Strengthening at least for me and like I've listened to your podcast like I've listened to it multiple times and I remember texting you even where I was like I know I'm I'm not a Christian and I listened to your podcast and you talked so much about faith with your guests But like I learned so much from it and I learned so much not just about your faith but about my own faith through that and so again, I think this like vulnerability that You were able to put out something that I may not have been your quote-unquote target audience um, but I was able to take so much away from it and from those conversations. And I think even through everything you just shared, it's it like, I think what I love about conversations like this, where it's like, you're not going to get everything right. You may not even vocalize everything in the most clear way. I am a known rambler. So I'm like, I don't even know if get anything off. I make makes sense. Um, but it, it opens the door to at least kickstart those thoughts for someone who may not have had the right, like, jump start to get there if that makes sense, right? Where it's like, I may not have put out like a complete thought, but that incomplete thought still registered something that, like, an hour from now, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, like this makes sense, and this is where it like sends you down like your thought spiral of like, okay, this is how I'm thinking about things and how things are coming together, and that's what I've loved so much about our conversations, where I'm like, okay what Jenny says, like it, it really sits with me and like, it marinates in my brain of like, okay, here's how I'm thinking about things and stuff. And so I think it's just really awesome that you're able to share that.
1: Oh my gosh. You are so kind and so sweet. I remember when you left, when you decided to move back to Minneapolis and you're leaving Sacramento, I told you, I was like, Sergio, I'm so bummed. Like you are such a believer in people and you see the gift, like you see people's like gifts and strengths or whatever, and you like just hype them up. And I think you like instill confidence back in people. And so I think you're being very, very kind (laughs) about me. Uh, But I I appreciate that. And I I think that's such a gift that you have in, in um, like bringing that out of people. I think you're so right too about like the process that it's like, it's like that it's messy. It's not linear. And I think that's why, and we talked about this, why I like took a break from social media for about a couple months and it was really healing for me because yeah. um i don't know like i you know for so long i saw social media as such a gift and as a place for right like i made so many friends from instagram um and yeah. like real life friends from instagram same, same and it was such a creative outlet for me but now and and i want to like reconcile that too and and see for if. For both the good and the bad, but I think I just don't know if it is the place for some of these conversations. Like, I feel like we care so much more about performance and perception and what you look like versus like what's actually happening underneath. And that became true for me for sure was that I started judging people for what they were or were not posting. And I questioned who they were as people because of that. And then I started judging myself for what I was and was not posting. Um, and it just became really toxic and it was really nice to kind of step away away from it and kind of do some of that like thinking and stuff
0: on my own. Yeah, for sure. I know it's – I feel like social media is such a double-edged sword because I'm like unless you are so intentional with it and are so – like you, you kind of draw the line between like you have a very certain set of people you follow on your feed and you're like putting in like the, the right sense of, gosh, what is the word I'm thinking of? Kind of like, you got to put like the filter on the filter. Like, you know, this is someone's yeah. highlight reel. It can be so just like, you just go down the rabbit hole and you're like, is this like, is this real? Like, is someone just posting what they think they should be posting? Are they actually doing like different things in real life? It's, you got to kind of be very intentional with it for sure. Yeah. I heard someone
1: call it a digital detox, which I really loved. Yeah, I like that. Of just lot. how do you detox from it regularly? Cause I think now, and I'm trying to get I was like dabbing back into Instagram, yeah. as you would say. And I I think what I'm appreciative of is that because I stepped away, and this is so gross that I had I think this speaks to what an unhealthy relationship I had with Instagram that I like I'm talking so much about it and I feel gross talking about it. But um now I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Then now when I'm on Instagram and I don't feel good, I can sense it. I'm like, oh, this doesn't make me feel good. I need to stop. Whereas uh-huh. before I think I just like indulged myself way right. more to the point that I just always felt numb and crappy. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah,
0: for sure. I know. <laughs> Got to build yourself a healthy relationship with it. That's for sure. Um, all the good stuff. But I mean, can I ask uh, you a question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now that
1: you've done these different like podcast interviews, I know you said you had a few and you're talking about so many cool things from identity to career to all these things. Like, what were, what have been some takeaways from you? Like, are there one or two things that you've learned?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing from a lot of these conversations, um, both the ones I've recorded for the podcast and even the ones I've had offline. Is that there is so much that so much more that we all have in common than we do that differentiates us. And that if I have ever felt something, a feeling, a thought, it is almost 99.9% guaranteed that someone else has had the exact same feeling or experience or thought. And I think there's something so incredible in that Um, it is it makes i think in a in a year where things can feel so isolating it makes things feel like we're so much more together and there's so much more power in who we are as a community and who we are together than we could ever have on our own i think that's been the biggest thing for me is that there's so much that ties us together that if we if we truly come together as a community i think there's so much that we can do positively in the world. And I mm. think that's what it kind of, it, it's given me a lot of hope, I think, for all that we still have left to do and all that we still have left to learn, but also how much more progress we have made too. Like I just did an episode with um, Somia Dave, who is a, both a psychiatrist and a fiction writer. And so much of the work that she does has, I think you even touched on this earlier too, where it's like our, our parents' generation didn't have the capacity really to have these conversations that we're having. Like the fact that I have recorded 10 episodes where we're talking about identity, where we're talking about our journeys, like for them, it was about survival. And it was about how do we set our kids up for success? And for us, it's like, how do we start to question and learn and unlearn and try to be even better for the next generation? It has been very powerful at least for me and so again coming back to this like if I have felt something it's almost guaranteed someone else has I think for me at least it's been like okay if I've learned something from these conversations and from recording these episodes hopefully someone else who's listening will also kind of something will be kickstarted for them and they can kind of go out there and have those conversations too I don't know if I answered that question but um, that's at least what it's been for me so
1: yeah I love that I know, just,
0: you know, just trying to bring some joy into this crazy year, so. (laughs) Joy and safety, for sure. Joy and safety. Um, Before we wrap up, I'd love to know kind of, how are you thinking about going into 2021? Anything fun coming down the pipeline? Anything you want to share?
1: So I have a couple more days of work and then we have about like 10 days off. Nice. And I'm really excited to read. I made a goal to read, what am I at? I think it was thirty books this year, and I think I'm at twenty-seven. So I really want to find a way to finish three books by the end of the year. Nice. Um, and then just spend time like with Huge and Lola, and just go on walks and stuff. Yeah. Um, explore some more of San Diego. Explore more San Diego. In a couple of days, I'm actually having like a a fun life exploring conversation with NECA and and this other girl. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like vision casting what we want 2021 in our life to look like. So I'll get back to you on 2021. I'm not sure yet.
0: I love that. That. A little manifestation session. Exactly. Okay. That is so fun. Well, I'm really excited for you. I can't wait to see more pics from San Diego while you're enjoying the beach and all that incredible stuff. Um, And there's so much that I'm so excited for you to bring to fruition because you are a creative, incredible powerhouse of a person. So Oh my gosh, back at you, lady. <laughs> well, we always wrap up with some uh, rapid fire questions.
1: Oh, fun! So
0: I hope you're excited for some uh, rapid fires. I either get groans or excitement, so we'll see how it goes. I think this is fun. Okay. Okay. First question How do you take your tea? Oh my God, I'm oh. not classy enough to drink
1: tea. <laughs> what okay. Kind of tea? Okay, like a milk tea. That I like, hats? yeah. So milk and sugar.
0: Yum. Love it. I remember you were actually my intro point to Boba when we were in no San Francisco. Way. You were, I know. So <gasps> we that will always Oba be. Guy. Yes. yes. Yep. You're so right. You and Eugene were like, this is what you should get. So I think it was a half, half sweet. I think that's what it was with half the okay. sweetener. Oh my gosh. I remember I'm that. Probably, probably. <laughs> Good times. Uh, who is someone that you really admire? Okay. Well, I will say I admire you
1: and it's not a cop-out answer, but I really, really admire just how you are pursuing different things, especially in a way that still makes it fun. I think like, it's not just about like perfection or getting things done, but you're really finding enjoyment in it. And I think that's so important. Oh,
0: you're so sweet. I love it. Okay. Um, I'll pretend to like actually embrace the compliment, you know, trying to get better at taking compliments. So thank you. Let me just say thank you. As anyone should say, when you're given a compliment, just thank you. Receive it. Receive the compliment. Um, hopefully this one is a little bit easier. What did you, (laughs) uh, what did you eat for breakfast today? I haven't eaten
1: breakfast yet, but I've drank coffee, which is my oat milk vanilla latte. And it usually fills me up longer. So I sometimes just drink that. Yeah. Love a classic latte. Uh, what is something you really love about yourself? Oh my gosh. What a good question. Um, What a hard question. I think one thing I do love about myself that is hard to say, and I think it is kind of like the theme of this conversation a little bit is that I um, can like, I'm a relational person and I'm able to bring connection and have
0: vulnerable conversations with people who are different than me. Yeah. I love that. That's a great one. I think having that curiosity to learn about people and know people is a really big strength of yours. So I will corroborate that answer of yours. There's Um, one quote I heard. Okay. Sorry. I'm totally ruining it. There's one
1: quote I heard and it was something like, if you think someone is boring, it's like more of a statement of you than you think the other person. And I think that's so true. It's like every person is interesting and has a story at its core and it's how can you connect
0: with that person and get that story out of them? That's a great reminder for all of us. Love that. Uh, what is a book you would recommend? Oh my gosh. I love The Vanishing Half. That's a book so I read this year. So good. I read that this year as a book club. Incredible. It was it's also so on Barack Obama's best books list of 2020. There you go. So that's how you know it's good. It's good um, and they're turning it into a show, I think. I know. I saw yeah. that. I really, again, because I love the book so much, I'm like, please get the casting right.
1: Aren't you so curious what they all look like?
0: Yes. I am like- I'm so excited for that. I'm just so excited. Um, If you could have one skill or talent that you don't already, what would it be?
1: I would love to have musical ability. Like I would love to be able to sing, play piano really well. Something that like just pick up. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh,
0: What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, Mint chocolate chip and coffee, hands down. Apparently mint chocolate chip is like a divisive flavor for some people and I don't understand. There are people who are right and there are people who are wrong. <laughs> we know which side we are on, the right side. That is correct. <laughs> um, what is something you're curious about right now? I'm really curious how this vaccine thing is going to play out. Aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Curious to see what the next couple of months look like. Yeah, for sure. That is for sure. Um, okay. And then last question, closing out our episode, what is a piece of joy or wisdom you would like to share with our listeners?
1: Wow. What a good question. Um, I think it's that if you look for things to be thankful for, you'll find it. And I think if you look for things to complain about, you'll find it. And I think a lot of that is about intention and perception, which I think is super, super hard. Um, But it's something that I'm trying trying to practice.
0: Yeah. I like that. That's a really great reminder. I think especially in a year like this, where things are hard for a lot of people, we can still find things to be grateful for. You said it. Awesome. Well, that's it. Where can people find you? What resources, links, etc. Do you want people to know about?
1: You can find me at coffee and honeycomb on Instagram. I also have a podcast under that name, both of which are not very active. So you can totally go to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I always love making friends on on this kind of stuff. So people can always like message me or whatever. Um, but yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I oh really love
0: Thank me you for joining you. the podcast. You're just such a gem and joy of a human being. And I'm blessed to have you in life. So I'm really glad girl. that we got to have this conversation. Thanks, girl. Thank y'all so much for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in following Jenny's work, you can listen to her podcast, Coffee and Honeycomb on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as give her a follow over on Instagram at Coffee And I'd love to know what you wanna hear more of here on the podcast. Send us a note on Instagram at filltheteapot and let us know what topics you're interested in or if there are any amazing voices you'd love to see featured. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.